thank you for that. All right. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm Dave, and we're going to spend some time looking at the scriptures together. First of all, though, I want to say happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to moms. I want to say thank you to my own mom for teaching me about Jesus and taking me to church. I want to say happy Mother's Day to my daughter, who just became a mom recently, and of course, to my lovely wife, the mother of my children, and all the other moms out there. Um, few things I want to say about Mother's Day. Number one, I recognize it's a hard day for a lot of you. I've been praying for you. Some of you um, have bad memories, or maybe some of you are missing your mom or, or missing wanting to be a mom. Um, for some of you, you are moms, and this might be the hardest Mother's Day ever just because of quarantine, because you're just, you're just exhausted. Um, so God sees you. Uh, we know you are hurting and you are tired. We've been praying for you. Remember, Jesus loves you. Uh, remember, you can rest in him and hang in there. Um, the, the second thing I wanted to say about Mother's Day is that it is one of the hardest jobs in the world. And so we just want to honor moms. Thank you for your labor of love. Thank you for what you do, moms. We appreciate you. Um, and then finally, uh, we want to recognize that some of you are not biological mothers or adopted mothers. You're not a mother in the traditional sense of how we use that word, but the scriptures prophesy. Isaiah chapter 54 specifically prophesies that in the new covenant, in Jesus's kingdom among his people, all women will be fruitful. We will be spiritually fruitful. We will have spiritual children, and that's the gift of spiritual fruitfulness that God calls all of us to. Um, And so that really leads to what we're going to be studying today. We're in a series called True Unity. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians in this series called True Unity. We've been looking at the first four chapters of the book of Corinthians, and that emphasizes unity and division and how our selfishness makes us want to separate from others and associate ourselves with certain parties or certain um, rituals or traditions. But in Christ, we can be humbled and unified. So we find true unity together in Christ, in the gospel. This week, we're going to be in chapter two, and we're calling the sermon, Grow Up by the Spirit. Grow Up by the Spirit will be in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16. We like to study the Bible every week because we believe it speaks to us with the authority and relevance of Jesus. And so as we unpack the Bible, we hear from Jesus himself, and he's going to call us to grow up. He's going to call us to grow up by the Spirit. Um, One thing that I really love about my wife is what a great job she did training our kids to be responsible. She did a great job training our children uh, to work hard, and that was a beautiful thing. And sometimes, though, I recognize that I undermined that in certain ways. There's one particular way in which I didn't really help train my kids very well. Uh, And it was really, I was trying to be helpful. Uh, My wife loves to cook. She's a fantastic cook. And so early on in our marriage, I was like, I'm going to do the dishes because you are such a fantastic cook, right? I want to encourage that. I want you to love cooking because I love eating. Uh, And so I committed myself to do the dishes. As our kids grew older, we trained them a little bit. You know, we trained them to do the dishes. We trained them to clear the table and all that. But basically, I would always just kind of grab it and do it because it was faster, because it was easier. It was more efficient for me to just do it myself. And over the Christmas break, something hit me that even though I had basically trained my kids to not do the dishes, these adult children were home for the holidays And I recognize they're just picking up the slack. They're just serving in love because you know what? They had grown up. Even though I had done things to not train them very well, they had grown up. And I use that illustration because what Paul is talking about is we live 
in a world where the messages of this world undermine us from growing up. If we follow the messages that are offered to us in this world, we will not grow up, we will not love others, we will not serve others and take responsibility for them. But if by the Spirit we listen to the message of the cross, we will be mature. That's the key word that Paul uses here. And next week, he's going to talk about being babies versus being mature. This week, he's going to use the word mature. There's a, there's a maturity that those who believe in the cross have. If you believe that God has given himself for you, that he's taken all your sin and given all of his righteousness to you, that gives you a supernatural spiritual maturity that helps you to grow up by the spirit. So let's read the text. It's again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Starting verse 6, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Amazing words. Um, I'm going to pray for us that God's spirit would, would meet us as we unpack his word, as we hear from him and listen to him. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would teach us. We pray that your word would transform us. And God, we pray that you would help us spiritually to grow up. God, we see that as we grow up, we become more and more like your son, Jesus. That's, that's what we want to happen. We want to become those who love others. We want to become those who serve others. We want to become those who are confident in your love for us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've got this text that is about spiritual maturity. And as, as I was trying to kind of connect the dots for you earlier, there really is a great tie-in with Mother's Day. Also, moms, I want you to know I wore a bow tie just for you today as well. So I hope you accept this gift I'm giving to you. Um, as we look at this idea of maturity, of growing up by the Holy Spirit, of being those who are changed by the cross, we're going to see three different things that we're kind of fighting with in the messages of this world. Number one, the immature, those who don't grow up, the immature chase secrets of success. There are a lot of worldly messages out there that say, these are the secrets of success, these are the secrets of success. And instead of listening to the cross, that will make us 
immature. That'll, that'll keep us from growing up if we listen to the messages of the world. So the immature chase secrets of success. The second thing we're going to see as we move through the text is that the immature want insider status. They really crave being on the inside. C.S. Lewis talked about this desire all human beings have to be in the inner circle. We, we want to be a part of a, a family or a group of friends that really matter and think something of us. And so if we get preoccupied with us, we'll, that will stay in immaturity. And then finally, the immature are judgmental relativists. That's a little longer there, right? Judgmental relativists. It's hard even for me to say. We'll explain that one when we get to it. So the first thing I want us to look at is how the immature chase secrets of success. Secrets of success. This world has a lot of different formulas that say this is what real success looks like. Right in the previous chapters, as we've been studying 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the buzzwords of wisdom, right? Like, are you smarter than anybody else? Or power, do you have more power and the ability to do things that others can't do? He's saying the world is always offering these formulas, these secrets. And if we get caught up chasing the secrets of success in the world, we're going to miss out on the maturity that the Spirit has for us. So look again at verse 6. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart Wisdom. Why is he saying yet? Well, we have to look back. What's the yet about? What's the the but in some translations there? Well, he's contrasting with what he said before. In verse 3, 4, and 5, Paul said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said in verse two, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul is saying that the power of our salvation rests not in the wisdom of speakers, not in power, not in the way the world paints success, but in the crucified Lord, Jesus Christ, in a God who would take our sins upon himself, who would die for us, who would pursue us, who would suffer with us, but also suffer for us. And give us his resurrection life as a free gift. Paul says this is the real secret of success. And that's contrasted with worldly wisdom and worldly power. So Paul is clarifying here, but there is a kind of wisdom, right? There's the wisdom of the cross. It's a different kind of wisdom. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Now this word mature, just to kind of give you a little background, is the word teleos or telos in the Greek. And this word can mean complete or having arrived at what something was made for. It's the idea of completion, fulfillment. Sometimes it's translated as perfect. And there's a great cross-reference of this in Philippians. Let me look this up. It's in uh, Philippians chapter three, I believe. And in that section, Paul talks about this kind of maturity. And he says, real maturity, real perfection. Here it is. I found it in my notes. It's Philippians 3, 12 and 15. He says, brothers, I haven't already become perfect, but I press on pursuing Jesus. And that word is mature. I haven't already arrived at maturity, brothers. Paul says in Philippians 3.12. And then in Philippians 3.15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained in Christ. I hope you recognize there's a paradox that Paul is painting here. Paul says, yeah, I'm not mature. I have not arrived yet. And then he says, those of us who are mature think this way. Do you see that? To be a follower of Jesus is to say, 
I haven't really arrived. And to really have arrived in Christ, to really grow up and be mature is to recognize you haven't arrived, that Christ is your only hope. That, that's what he's pushing off to. We saw previous weeks, this boasting in the Lord, not boasting in ourselves. And that's what it means to really be mature. So the immature are always chasing these other secrets of success, thinking they're going to be mature by what the world holds out to them. So Paul, back in 1 Corinthians 2.6 says, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And most commentators agree in general that he's talking both about the spiritual rulers of this age and the physical rulers of this age because they, they work together, right? He's saying there are leaders, there are rulers of this world, and they often, not all the time, but often are under the sway of the spiritual rulers of, of evil, spiritual forces of darkness. And he's saying their wisdom is passing away. He goes on to explain verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God dec- decreed before the ages for our glory. So this is this ancient, mysterious, secret, hidden wisdom that has been uncovered in Christ. He says in verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. So Paul says, why are you looking to the rulers of this world? Why are you looking to what the magazines say? Why are you looking to what the self-help books say? Why are you looking at what YouTube is telling you when they are the ones that crucified Jesus? He's, He's saying it's the powers of this world. It's the way this world works that put Jesus to death, but it's Jesus that gives you life. So where are you going to look for secrets of success? This language is conspiracy theory language. This is mystery religion language. And what we're being told here is stop chasing the stupid conspiracy theories of this world. Do you hear that? I want you to pause and soak that up. Stop, please, stop chasing the stupid conspiracy theories of this world. Are there little half-truths in the conspiracy theories? Sure. But the real conspiracy is that God would save sinners like you and me. That is the ultimate mind-blowing conspiracy of the universe. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying in the first century, you Romans, you're running around, you Corinthians, you're running around chasing these mystery religions, looking for secret knowledge. You're posting the newest mystery religion on Facebook and trying to get everybody to follow you and showing how smart you are compared to everybody else. He says, forget that. Jesus has uncovered the ultimate conspiracy. And that is God loves you, even though you don't deserve it. He was crucified for you. And listen to how Paul goes on to describe it here as he quotes the prophecy of Isaiah, verse nine. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He's talking about the the normal uh, organs of the human body that help us to follow empirical knowledge, a scientific method, the the ways that we display our smartness, our our ears, our eyes, um, the way that we function in knowing what is true, right? In the world, the scripture doesn't condemn that we would search out truth in the basic way that humans do. He's just saying humans will never get there on their own, right? So science, investigation, observation, seeing what is there, we are to do all that. But it's saying here, 
you'll never get there. You'll never see the incredible, incredible conspiracy theory of a God who loves you in Christ apart from the spirit revealing it to you through the message of the cross. That's the ultimate unveiling. That's the mystery that's being revealed here. So stop chasing all the other secrets of success in this world. I've been watching lately some Sherlock Holmes shows. There's one that was on the BBC for a while. Um, I grabbed a picture. I think, I think I've got a picture of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, there's an old picture. I had to find a really old one to get public domain, right? So this wouldn't get torn down for copyright violation. Um, but there's an interesting thing, interesting thing my wife and I have talked about as you read Sherlock Holmes mysteries. I don't think the show is quite as bad, but it, it shows this a little bit. It's almost like the point of the Sherlock Holmes mystery is to show you that there's no way you can solve it. Like the writer, Sir, what's his name? Doyle, Arthur Conan Doyle, what's his name? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, long name. Um, it's like he wrote it withholding the clues from you so that Sherlock could unveil the truth. And it's kind of frustrating if you're a problem solver and you're reading the book and you want to try to solve the problem, it's impossible to solve. Only Sherlock can solve it. And this translates into the shows that Sherlock is incredibly self-obsessed, incredibly selfish, and just thinks he's such a genius and he's a show-off and he's kind of a sociopath, right? Um, But in Christ, we have one who reveals it for us, selflessly. We have someone who reveals this mystery for us on our behalf, for our goodness, because he loves us. That's the kind of mystery we have revealed in Christ. What are the secrets of success that you're chasing? What are the mysteries that you're chasing? What's the secret knowledge that you're chasing? Our society is currently really divided, and and I think on both sides, right? On both sides of the political spectrum, we've got this problem with conspiracy theories. Um, We've kind of got the the progressive conspiracy theories of, of, you know, if you take science and you add politics, we could have utopia, right? And it's this like, if you just be smart enough, we could figure this all out and save everyone, right? That's kind of the progressive view. And then kind of the hyper-conservative view is you just take radical individualism and add politics, you can have utopia, right? We do it on both sides. We have this idea that if, if we would just follow this train and build that into our political system, then all our problems would be over, Paul is telling us, Jesus is telling us, we have a much more radical root heart problem. It's called sin. In the end, no matter which system we set up, there are going to be selfish humans messing up the system. And we need Jesus who died for us on the cross. What I'd like you to do by way of application is think through what are the conspiracy theories, what are the veins of secret knowledge that you're chasing that you think are going to fix everything And recognize, you know what? That's not going to save me. It's okay to have hobbies, but that's not going to save me. Only Jesus is. Look at these secrets, these conspiracy theories, these secrets of success that you're pursuing and say, you know what? Only Jesus is enough. Recognize it. There's this basic fundamental application we all need to do when it comes to these different things that we're drawn away from Jesus by. We need to recognize it, repent, and believe. A clearer way maybe to say that in English is turn and trust. Turn from alternate theories of salvation and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Say, Jesus, you're the only conspiracy theory that works. You're the mystery that's been revealed for free for the good of all mankind. The greatest mystery of all time has been revealed to you in Christ. And Paul says, you really want to be mature? Give up on the theories Give up on the secret tracks of knowledge and secrets of success 
and trust in the cross. That is real spiritual wisdom. The next thing that Paul turns to then is how the immature want insider status. And again, C.S. Lewis talks about this as the uh, wanting to be in the inner circle. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this socially. Um, maybe you're in a new school and you see this group of people and you wish you could kind of be a part of that group of people, be accepted by them, be loved by them, be appreciated with them, but you feel like you're on the outside. People feel this at all ages. I feel like it's the worst for teenagers, but it happens to adults as well. It happens at all stages of life. We have this idea, if I was a part of that vocation or a part of that group or part of these people, then maybe things would be okay. Maybe you break in and you realize, oh, it's, it's still empty, right? And so what we see is the immature are always clamoring to be on the inside, to have insider status, but we have insider status as a part of the ultimate king of the universe's family, Jesus Christ, reigning over the universe, offers us true insider status. We can be adopted into his family and be one with him by his spirit. And so we we need to throw away trying to chase human insider status and accept the free gift of adoption into God's family through Christ by his spirit. So look at verse 10. Uh, Again, he said, these things that we could never imagine, that no eye could see or ear hear, those incredible things are offered to us by God. And these things, verse 10, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He goes on in verse 10 and says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? What is Paul's line of argument here? Well, it's a a biblical line of argument. He's kind of making some allusions to Proverbs. Um, Nobody really knows what's going on inside a person except for the spirit, right? And so even if you really get close to someone, you still need them. If you have a relationship of love, if you have friendship, you still need them to reveal to you what they're thinking and feeling. This is where it gets crazy, y'all. The spirit does that for us. So, right, like you can have a great close friendship with a friend, but still feel like they're not really telling me what's going on inside. We've all experienced that. Or with your spouse, like you can have those moments where you just don't feel like they're telling you what they're really feeling or thinking, right? But the Spirit of God reveals to us the heart of God. Let's look at this again. Um, Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this or teach this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Paul is saying, when we are communicating the truth of the cross, we're telling the story of Jesus. These are spiritual truths that we're imparting by the Holy Spirit. This is the beautiful thing. When we speak the word of God, the Holy Spirit is what makes it stick and land in people's hearts. And so think back to the problems in Corinth. They were having problems dividing from from each other saying, well, I'm more spiritual than you, or I'm more wise than you, or I'm more powerful than you. And they were looking to the world's standards of success and showing off and saying, that means I'm more spiritual. We see this today, especially in health and wealth churches, where they say, if you're richer, that means God is blessing you and you're more spiritual. Paul's like, no, it's receiving the message of the cross that makes you spiritual. It's knowing the heart of God 
Remember what he was saying earlier? Like, you don't really know what people are thinking unless the spirit of that person reveals it. Well, we've got the spirit of God revealing to us the heart of God, the mind of God. And what is his heart? What is his mind? What is the spirit revealing that you're invited inside? That God is calling you to come into relationship with him, that he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son. That if you believe you shall not perish, but have eternal life. He came as a sacrifice for you. Do you believe that? If you believe that, if you trust that message of the cross, then you are now an insider. You're no longer just on your own trying to get onto the inside of whatever human social group, but you are now inside the family of God. Why would we look anywhere else when God has given us true insider status? And he says it is freely given us. Look at this again in verse 12. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What's the alternative system? The alternative system is us working for it, us working our way on on the inside in this group or that group. More education, more knowledge, looking more perfect, having a better body, having the right diet, going to the right school, whatever it might be. And he says, no, you have true insider status and it's given to you freely. You don't work for this. You receive it as a gift from God. I think moms especially struggle with comparison, right? Especially in our social media age, I grabbed a picture of um, fancy moms on a play date um, with their hair all done and their kids all smiling, right? And social media is constantly showing us pictures. That was kind of from the 90s, so maybe that wasn't very helpful, but... We're always seeing these pictures of people that look, you know, done up and perfect and happy and, and the lighting is just right and thinking, man, if, if I could just get my stuff together, then maybe I'd have that perfect life as well. Or if maybe if I was a better mom, then I'd be happier. Or my children would be happier. There's this thing that I think all moms struggle with. I, I call it mom guilt. And I want to encourage you to do something with that mom guilt. Stop. That, that's my main encouragement. If you're feeling that ache, that gnawing mom guilt, moms, just stop. On your own, you will never be perfect enough. But in Christ, you are delighted in, you are loved. He is satisfied with you. Jesus loves you. And it's not just moms, right? There's dad guilt, there's teacher guilt, there's commander guilt, there's uh, whatever guilt you want to say, right? None of us are ever enough in and of ourselves. We can never do enough to be perfect in our vocation or our job or our relationships. But you are perfect in Christ and it's freely given to you. He loves you. I love the way Jack Miller used to say this. There's a million varieties of this quote. Tim Keller quotes this a lot. But Jack Miller is famous for saying, cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared to imagine. Don't you love how he starts with cheer up? Cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared to imagine. And you are more loved than you ever dared to hope. Simultaneously, both are true. So so give up the rat race. Stop trying to become an insider in the right circle. Stop comparing yourself to what you see on social media and rest in the reality that in Christ, you've been freely given insider status by the Spirit. The Spirit knows the heart of God And he reveals the heart of God to us as we hear these spiritual things preached about Jesus and his cross. 
So recognize whatever insider status fantasy you might be chasing. What is it? What's the insider status? What's the, what's the, if I just make this next level, then I've arrived. What's the insider status fantasy that might be pulling and tugging on your heart? I have them. You have them. We all have them. I just think, man, if I, if I could just get there, then things would be really great. No, you, you've already got it all, right? You've already been given everything in Christ. So turn from those alternative insider status things that are drawing on your heart that are calling you away from Jesus and trust in Jesus. Trust that he loves you. Cheer up. You're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. Trust that Jesus has placed you in his family. The last thing I want us to look at is in verses 14 through 16. And we're going to see here that the immature are judgmental relevists. You like that phrase? Like I said, it's hard to even say. Complicated, multi-syllabic phrase here. The immature are judgmental relativists. I wrote this down to try to define this. Um, our natural default is to judge according to relative human standards. Okay? That's our natural default as human beings, is to judge ourselves and others according to relative human standards. And so this was the division and the lack of unity that the Corinthians were struggling with. They were saying, well, I'm a part of this club, or I'm good looking, or I have money, so I'm a better Christian, and you are a loser, right? That's judging by, by limited relative human standards. And that's a sign, Paul is saying, of immaturity. And here's the irony. You know the people that were doing this in Corinth? They were calling themselves the mature, People saying, look at me, look at how mature I am because of the money I have or how well-spoken I am or, or all these other instances, the, these external markers. And so we're using these, these relative human standards. So what we do here, and I got a lot of help in language from a book called The Gospel-Centered Life. Really helpful book for helping you think through how we do this as human beings. But the way they say it is we either pretend our sin is no big deal we pretend our sin is no big deal, or we perform as if we can actually be holy like God. Kind of the two directions we're going. Pretending, right? That's kind of the romantic, rebellious, follow your heart, do whatever you want, kind of pretend sin's no big deal, or perform. That's the religious side. We act like we can actually be righteous, and we're more righteous than the other person, right? These are two ways that we do this. We become judgmental relativists. Look at verse 14. The natural person... The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So he's saying there's just a fundamental difference between natural judging, it's limited, it's finite, and true spiritual judging. Two different ways of judging. And here Paul makes a really bold claim. The spiritual person, verse 15, spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now this can be really taken out of context. I just want to clarify, don't ever use that verse without referencing chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, okay? So if you use this verse and say, I'm a spiritual person and I get to judge you, that's not where he's going, Right? What he's saying is we have ultimate freedom, like we've arrived in Christ. So that gives us a kind of emotional and cosmic objectivity. We're with Christ, so we don't worry if people judge us, right? Paul's going to go into this later in chapter three. We're going to see this in a couple of weeks. 
I don't care what people say about me. All I care is what Jesus says about me, and he gave his life for me. So he's the only one I'm trying to please. That frees me, especially someone like me, my temperament, because I want to please people. I don't know about you. Some of you may not care. Well, I, I struggle with that. I want to please people. So this changes everything for me. I'm no longer judging myself by my relative human standards, and I'm no longer judging you by relative human standards. I'm just saying, Jesus loves me, and that frees me up to either say no to you or to say yes to you based on how I believe it will bring God's love into your life. And so this, for people that always want to say no or people that always want to say yes either way, it trains you to actually make Jesus Christ and his cross the real standard. So you've got absolute love given to you by God that frees you up to no longer pretend that your sin's not sin and to no longer perform as if your righteousness actually counts for anything because it does not. So how do we live this up? I, I grabbed a picture here and uh, this picture was a picture of thumbs down, right? This has become the image. We have the likes on Facebook. We have likes. I think we have likes on YouTube, right? Does YouTube have the thumbs up and thumbs down too? Yeah, it's, it's kind of becoming ubiquitous, right? Like um, in the ancient you know, Roman world, they would use that for the gladiator games, right? Up and down. It's like a death sentence from the emperor. Uh, we do this all the time, right? We pass judgment all the time in little ways, little tiny ways, constantly passing judgment. And it can infect our minds. It can begin to be how we see things spiritually. Paul's saying we need to judge from a spiritual standpoint, not from a human limited relative standpoint. So a good question to ask yourself to apply this is it's which side do you struggle more with? And, and I just, again, to be confessional here, I think I struggle with both sides. Uh, but moms, dads, singles, soldiers, teachers, whatever your walk of life, do you struggle more with pretending that sin doesn't really matter and you can do whatever you want? Pretending sin is no big deal? Or do you struggle more with performing, thinking that you can be righteous enough to get God to pay attention to you? that you can be good enough to somehow arrive, to somehow make it to maturity. Paul is saying that's, that's actually immaturity. It's actually immaturity to judge things relatively. What true maturity is to, is to turn from your pretending and to turn from your performing and to trust that Jesus gave himself for you. To trust that you have the mind of Christ. You have the heart of God revealed to you by the Spirit in the message of the cross. Do you believe this? Do you recognize that only by the Spirit will you truly be able to grow up? And so he finishes here with this idea of the mind of Christ. We saw earlier the Spirit reveals the heart of God to us, tells us what God is thinking. And I want to reference Philippians one more time. We referenced Philippians 3 earlier. There's a lot of parallel language in the book of Philippians and in this section of Corinthians. Both books are emphasizing how the Spirit and the cross helps us to be truly unified and helps us to truly grow up. So I talked before about how Philippians 3 says to truly be mature is to recognize you haven't really arrived yet and only Christ can make us mature. That's growing up by the Spirit. And we also have the same language about having the mind of Christ in Philippians 2. And Paul says this, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, unity, and being of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
This is what it means to grow up. Moms, dads, uncles, and aunts in the the kingdom of God, this is what we're trying to grow people up into. Spiritual maturity, loving others. Each one of you looks not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped, Philippians 2 tells us, but he humbled himself. He gave up his position, his posture in heaven. He came to earth. He took on human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. To grow up by the spirit is by the message of the cross to take on the lifestyle of the cross. Because Jesus gave himself for you and for me, we begin supernaturally, not out of our flesh, but supernaturally, spiritually, to begin to give ourselves to others. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are good and that we have had your heart, your spirit, your mind revealed to us in the message of the cross, that we are not just on our own abandoned but you are our good shepherd. You are our rest. You love us. You sacrifice for us. You've brought us into your family. We belong to you. The mystery has been revealed in Christ. We thank you. We praise you for this and pray that you would transform us in Jesus' name. Amen.